Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. If this is your first time with us, this is your lucky day because we are starting this brand new series that I'm excited about, The New Normal, you know, having just recently passed the uh, one-year anniversary of when COVID-19 radically changed life as we know it, and now with multiple vaccines uh, available and the goal of having those who want to be to be vaccinated by mid to late summer, what does life look like for us going forward in our, our new normal? Granted, things aren't like they used to be and probably never will be in many ways, but no question we are returning to some signs of what we used to call normal. Last weekend, my uh, sister and brother-in-law and favorite niece, Allegra, hi Allegra if you're watching, uh, went over to Lawrence, decided to go over to Lawrence down on Mass Street to uh, eat out. And uh, after the second time around Mass Street trying to find a parking place, my wife made the comment, she said, man, Lawrence is back. And, uh, and, and in a sense, you know, it kind of, I mean, you know, people were walking the streets, parking lots were full, restaurants were full. And uh, so in a way, yeah, it, it kind of is getting back to normal. But while the empty streets, empty parking lots, and empty shelves are filling up, the truth is many things will never look the same again. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I don't believe God wants us to go back to what we used to call normal. He wants us going forward. And that's our big idea for the first message of this new series. Our big idea, as we slowly climb out of this pandemic, thinking about what our new normal might look like, rather than thinking about going back to normal, we should think about moving forward with God. And my hope is that this series will help us as we move forward into our new normal. You know, I've talked to so many people who are so ready to move on. They're just tired of it. They're they're ready to be over it. And I get it, and in many ways, COVID has worn us down. So I want to begin by reading a promise that Jesus gave us one time in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, are you tired? This is out of the message paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And then here comes the invitation for all those who've been beat down and worn out by COVID. He says, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I like the way that he words that. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, I like this phrase, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, I believe this is what God wants for us to do, to guide us as we learn to live in our new normal, to let the unforced rhythms of grace help us as we learn to live freely and lightly. And even though it appears as though we're winning this battle with COVID, let's not forget, let's not forget, even if we reach herd immunity, the full impact of this pandemic won't be known for years, especially the mental and emotional fallout. And sadly, we're already seeing this play out in many people's lives, especially the younger generation. Since the coronavirus arrived, depression and anxiety in America have become rampant. Some surveys show that 40%, think about this, 40% of Americans are struggling with at least one mental health or drug-related problem. But what's even more alarming is how that percent spikes to 75% among young adults. Wow. 
In the CDC's own survey, asking young adults if they had thought about killing themselves within the past 30 days, this is shocking, one in four said that they had. They had thought about ending their life within the last 30 days. Now, to be sure, some of these things aren't exclusive to COVID, depression, anxiety, chaos, fear, fear of being out of control, feeling out of control. Those things have been around since the fall of man. But no question, the heavy burden of this pandemic has certainly brought them front and center. If there's ever been a need for people to learn to live freely and lightly, as Jesus said, it's right now. And again, my hope is that this series will help us do just that. Keep company with Jesus so that he can help us learn to live our lives freely and lightly. So to give us some framework for this new series, I want to begin by reading something that the Apostle Paul said in one of his letters to some Jesus followers in an ancient city called Thessalonica. It's in northern Greece. It still exists today. But it's actually a prayer. And here's what he prayed over the Christians in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he said, May God himself, the God of peace, aren't you thankful for God's peace? The God of peace sanctify you through and through. Now, this, this is the cleansing and healing process of the Holy Spirit after we invite Jesus into our hearts. Last week, I mentioned how salvation takes place in an instant. Our spirit being, our spirit person is made whole the moment that we accept Christ and we confess Jesus as our Lord. But the rest of us, our soul and our body, sometimes it takes them a while to come around. That's why we need to be sanctified, or the word literally means set apart for God as Paul is about to show us here. He says, may your whole, now, now watch this because this is what we'll be covering over the next three weeks in this series. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at what the new normal is for our spiritual life. Next week, we'll look at what the new normal should look like for our soul or our emotional life. And then we'll conclude the series the Sunday before Mother's Day by looking at what the new normal should look like for our physical life, our bodies. And I know some of you look at me thinking, where do I have the moral authority to talk about what we look like physically, right? But I'm on a mission. I'm going to lose 20 pounds before that. <laughs> Pray for me, all right? So I'm beginning with our spiritual life because this is the foundation upon which the other two are built. Without transformation in our spiritual life, there is no transformation of our emotions in our body. Our spiritual well-being is the plumb line, if you will, that kind of guides the rest of our life and what, what takes place in the rest of our life and the rest of us. If our spiritual life, listen, if our spiritual life is off center, if things aren't right vertically between you and God, it's going to impact your horizontal relationships as well. Those, those relationships that are played out through our, our, our soul and our, our body. In fact, that's how our next class we offer each month is designed. The first step, knowing God, addresses that vertical relationship. And then the next three steps, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and making a difference, address the horizontal relationships. In fact, it just so happens this story we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see these four steps play out in the life of a troubled man who had an encounter with Jesus one day. And I chose this story partly because it paints a great picture of the sanctifying process that Jesus wants to do in us. Both Mark and Luke recorded the event, so we'll kind of bounce back and forth between those two accounts of this powerful story. We'll start out in Mark, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. So they, this is Jesus and his guys, the disciples, arrived at the other side of the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, just for some context here, this, this was on his trip across the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calmed the storm. But it's also important to note that Jesus, has, has he's left Palestine now, and he's heading into a predominantly non-Jewish region, a Gentile region. 
So he's about to encounter a completely different audience, people who have no knowledge of or interest in serving God. And after arriving on the other shore, it says in verse two, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Luke's account actually sheds some insight to this guy's backstory. In Luke 8, 27, says, When Jesus had stepped out on land after the boat got to shore, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, that's an important note for us that that Luke uh, fills in for us because I want us to see that we're not dealing with some kind of uncivilized savage here. We're dealing with someone who, at least at one time, lived in a city, was probably an educated man, probably had a business or some had some kind of a trade, some kind of a job, you know. So it makes you wonder, what was the order of his life before this happened, whatever it was that happened to him? What were the names of his kids? Who was his wife? A man from the city. What was his address? Well, we're about to find out. It says, for a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. The Bible tells us here this address now. It says, a man from the city who wore no clothes nor lived in a house, but in the tombs. His address now was the cemetery. That's where he lived now. Please note two things about this guy. First, he had no clothes and he didn't live in a house. It doesn't say he never had a house. It says that he just didn't live in one now. It says that he wore no clothes. Anyone ever have one of those dreams where it's like you're out in public and you realize you're naked? Yeah, me neither. Um, Anyway, this man didn't have any clothes. It wasn't a matter of indecency. It wasn't a matter of some kind of perverted self-exposure. This guy had been stripped of everything by the devil. I wonder if there's some sitting in here this morning or perhaps some from our e-campus church watching online and the enemy has stripped you of something, left you feeling awkward, embarrassed, ashamed. Maybe you got stripped of a marriage. Maybe you got stripped of a relationship with a prodigal son or daughter and it's left you heartbroken for sure, but also with some shame and embarrassment. I mean, who wants to have that conversation with, oh yeah, I'm not getting along with my son or my daughter or whoever. Maybe you've been stripped of a job or a career. Maybe you have a health condition that barring divine intervention has stripped you of a future, period. It also says this guy didn't have a house but lived in the tombs at the graveyard. Again, the picture here is more than just having a roof over his head. Houses aren't just dwelling places. Houses are where family is and where people are. And if there's anything touching about these words here that describes us that he didn't live in a house, it tells us that this guy wasn't just stripped of things. He was also stripped of his family, left alone and abandoned. This man with no clothes, no home, is a picture of what the devil does. He strips people of everything they have and leaves them in shame and embarrassment. Verses three and four of Mark. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. At some point in this guy's behavior, he became so violent and unpredictable, they decided to put chains on his arms and shackles on his feet not just so he couldn't get around to harm others, but so he couldn't harm himself as well. But because of the supernatural demonic power that was in him, he was able to break the chains and shackles, which was probably why he lived out at the cemetery. Since no one was able to help this guy, they finally ran him out of town, kicked him out of town, and he went to the cemetery. 
Verse 5, Mark 5, day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, before we go on, could we agree that this guy has some problems, right? This guy has some problems, and his problems are more severe than yours. You know how I know that? Because you're here and you're clothed. And I don't think any of you drove in from the cemetery. So this guy's pretty demonized. Sometimes people ask me if I believe that people can be demon-possessed. I ask them, have you ever driven a school bus? <laughs> if I've learned anything from 29 and a half years of driving mama's little darlings back and forth to school twice a day. Seriously, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus deals with demons like they're real, then you better believe they're real. They're real. Now, having said that, I also believe that sometimes people make choices and live their lives in a manner that would open them up to demonic possession. This man's case was obvious possession, but let's be clear. Satan can wreck your life in far more, far more subtle and less extreme ways than this guy. So as we attempt to dial in our new normal, I want to begin by looking at three things in this guy's life that sort of parallel some of the ways that, that COVID has impacted us and our culture. Isolation. Isolation. How ironic that technology has allowed us to be more connected than ever before, yet so many have never felt more alone than ever before. And this isn't just a pandemic thing. People have felt lonely and isolated long before COVID came on the scene. But no question, the quarantine, the social distancing caused by the pandemic has certainly brought isolation front and center. A while back, the New York Times had an article stating that loneliness can be more deadly to our health. This is amazing. More deadly to our health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Which sounds crazy, but it's certainly being verified by all the health issues surfacing on this side of the pandemic. And granted, I mean, it hasn't all been bad. I mean, for some of us, being quarantined was probably not a bad thing. It compelled families to spend more time together. And for Christians, it created opportunities for solitude and getting quiet before God. But see, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude's good. Solitude's good. In fact, it can be restorative, transformative, and powerful. Isolation, not so much. Isolation, isolation is just the opposite. When we're, when we're isolated, we lose touch with reality and cut ourselves off from relationships. When we're isolated, we expose ourselves to risks that would never happen if we were in community with others. Pastor and leadership guru Kerry Niehoff said, solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. In my study this past week, I couldn't help but think about how tragic this guy's story is. He used to live in town, probably a member of the community, had a trade, a job, maybe a business, had a wife and family. But then something happened. Something happened that sent his life down this unfortunate and demonic trajectory of self-abuse, isolation, and loneliness. We know from what happens later in the narrative that this graveyard, this cemetery was up on a hill or cliff somewhere. I wonder if there were times that he would walk over to the edge and look down at the city where he used to live. What his life used to look like. Where his wife and kids probably still lived. And maybe think to himself, what happened? How did I end up here? Some of you could probably say that in your life. How did I end up here? No one sets out to end up where this guy ended up. 
as I was reflecting on my life and the times that I felt really alone, I, I, you know, I think the, the very first time that I really felt alone was right after my parents divorced. That literally split our family right down the middle. I was living with my dad. My sister and brother were living with my mom. And I remember there were times I felt so alone. It didn't consume me, but when the loneliness hit, man, it hit hard. It hit really hard. I had no control over it. I just had to deal with it. I didn't recognize it at the time, but when these times of isolation overwhelmed me, my self-preservation mechanism kicked in and I got real good at hiding it. Just like we all get good at hiding it, don't we? We have to. That's how we cope. We have to adapt. Remember that Eve was alone in the garden. She was the most vulnerable when she was alone. The devil knows that you alone is the best case scenario for him. The best case scenario for taking you out, out of your calling, out of your marriage, and sadly, even out of life itself in some occasions. Listen, if you're at a place of loneliness or isolation this morning, God wants you to know that you're not alone. Not only is he with you, he understands what you're going through. He really does. That's just not preacher talk. He really does understand what you're going through. When Jesus says, I feel your pain, he's not just paying lip service to comfort us. Yes, there were times of, of solitude in his life where he got alone with the Father, but there were also times of isolation and loneliness. Perhaps the most difficult one was while he was hanging on the cross, cross just minutes before breathing his last breath. And he looked up to heaven and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He does understand. He really does. But he also wants you to know that he died so you wouldn't have to be isolated or lonely. So this man was isolated. Second, he was imprisoned. We're told that this guy was placed in chains and shackles. Not only that, it says that be, because he was able to break free of these restraints, they would constantly have to rechain him and reshackle him, which is an interesting spiritual analogy when you think about how often we will have breakthroughs in certain areas of our life that have kept us bound and shackled and we'll be fine for a while, but then things happen that cause us to make decisions and choices that lead us back down that pathway where we find ourselves right back in those chains and shackles. You think about what sin is. The literal definition of sin is missing the mark, missing the mark. And the mark that we're missing is God's plan for our lives. And the reason we miss it is because we're trying to live life on our terms. And every time we do this, it leads to bondage. Not because we're bad people and God's punishing us. No, it's just the result of trying to live our lives in our own power. And none of us on our own, have the power or capacity to live the, the life that God called us to live. We'll miss it every time. And every time, every time we try to, we'll break free for a while. But before long, we find ourselves back in bondage again. The guy was isolated. He was all alone. The guy was imprisoned in bondage. And then third, he was incomplete. And by incomplete, I mean, he was just wandering around, isolated, imprisoned, trying to figure out what his new normal was what it looked like. And as he was trying to figure all this out, in his frustration, the Bible says he would howl and scream and yell and cut himself. In other words, everything he tried to do on his own, watch this now, everything that he tried to do on his own led to self-inflicted pain and suffering. Again, what a powerful picture of what happens to us anytime that we try to live our lives apart from God's plan for us. You think of all the untold damage that you've done, all the self-inflicted pain and suffering that you've endured by the poor choices and decisions that you made trying to live life 
on your terms apart from God's grace and strength. See, you are the common denominator in all your bad decisions, right? You were there for every one of them. You had a front row seat for every one of them. This guy had no purpose, no meaning. He was just out wandering in the cemetery, a place of death and decay, which is a powerful symbol of what happens to us, our spirit being. The longer we wander through life apart from God's plan, not only are we dying on the inside, we're also screaming and howling along the way. Maybe not literally, but on the inside, we're screaming, we're howling, we're, we're crying out in pain. For some of you, that might be what you're feeling like right now, like you're just wandering around, isolated, bound in shackles and chains due to some point of bondage, howling and screaming, not literally. Maybe it is. If that's you, the good news is Jesus understands and he wants to help. He wants to set you free, free from your loneliness, free from your isolation, free from the bondage of those things that have shackled you. He's here to help you. How? How do we access this, this help from God? That's the next part of this man's story in Mark 5, verses 6 to 8. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. The lesson is, and, and, and listen, listen to your pastor because this is very important. Satan does not have any power to keep you from coming to Jesus. I think I need to say that again. Satan does not have any power to keep you from coming. This guy, look, if he could have stopped anyone, he could have stopped this guy because this guy was definitely demonized, right? If Satan could have stopped anyone, he could have stopped this guy and he couldn't. This guy's obviously demon-possessed and yet he still has the ability to choose to worship Jesus. There's only one person who can keep you from worshiping God and that's the person in the mirror and you need to understand that. So keep in mind, he still had this demonic influence going on, which is why the next thing happened in verse seven. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So see, here we see this inward struggle going on within this guy, this, this, this spiritual tug of war. On, on, on one side, there's an opportunity for God to bring deliverance and healing. On the other side, there's the, the pull towards that, what had become his new normal. And then he says this, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Why did he say that? Mark tells us in the next verse, for Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. But what I want you to note is the key to all this, the key to this, the key to this guy's healing and being set free was what happened back up in verse six. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him. That's the key right there. He ran to meet him and bowed low before him. All this guy had to do, watch this now. All this guy had to do to get rid of his isolation, his imprisonment, and being made incomplete and whole again was to run to Jesus. Jesus makes us complete. Jesus makes us complete. I don't care what Tom Cruise said to Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. No other human can complete you. The only one we can truly say, you complete me, to is Jesus. the one who died to help make us complete. Here is where the guy came to know God. That's the first step, right? Know God. This is where he came to know God. Then in what has to be one of the more bizarre acts mentioned in the Bible, Jesus cast this demonic spirit, these spirits out of this guy. 
the spirits enter a herd of pigs over by the side of the cliff, which causes this huge herd. And Mark said there was about 2,000 of pigs to run off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee below. Verse 13, the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And then they had deviled ham sandwiches for lunch that I'm 65 now. I got these groaner jokes. I know, I know. Humor me, right? Luke's account tells us that the herdsmen watching over the pigs saw this play out. So they run into town to tell everyone what they had seen. The point being, when Jesus comes into our lives, it's a game changer. That, that, that was this man's story, and it can be your story as well. If you'll run to Jesus and invite him into your life, it doesn't say this man invited Jesus into his life, but it does say that he bowed before him. That is an act of worship. That is an act of worship. So the guy came running to Jesus. That's knowing God. Then Jesus cast the demons out, which was his second step, because this is where the man was set free. He found freedom. What are our steps? Know God. What's number two? Find freedom. Find freedom. This is where he found freedom. After Jesus sets the man free, a crowd begins to gather around this guy. They no doubt heard about the 2,000 pigs running off the cliff into the sea, and you better not come between a Gentile and their bacon. So they come running out to see what's going on, and they see this guy who that used to, this crazy man that, you know, was shackled and used to howl and scream and cut on himself. That's how they remembered him. And now they see someone different. Verse 15, Mark 5, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. Luke tells us that he wasn't just sitting there, but sitting at the feet of Jesus. Very important point. Verse 35 of Luke 8, they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Now watch this next statement. This is amazing. And they were all afraid. What? Now they're afraid? When he was demon-possessed, howling, cutting on himself, that didn't bother them. Now that he's healed and sane, now they're afraid. What a powerful commentary on the impact of sin on mankind, leaving us so depraved. Think about this. Sin leaves us so depraved that we're more at ease adjusting to the bondage around us than embracing the power of Christ to set us free. You know, when you live a certain way long enough, that becomes your normal, doesn't it? We don't know how long this guy had been possessed by these demons. Apparently it was long enough that everyone recognized that that's just who he was. Jesus comes along, sets this man free, and now the people are scared. You know, Luke tells us in the book of Acts about a time when the apostle Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica preaching about Jesus and many were responding and receiving Jesus as their Messiah and Jesus was setting many of these people free from bondage as well. But when the religious leaders found out about it, they went to the local city officials and complained about what was happening. And this was their accusation against Paul and Silas. Watch this. This is amazing. Acts 17, verse 6. These, talking about Paul and Silas, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. No, they didn't turn the world upside down. It was already upside down because of the fall. They were turning it right side up. But when you've been upside down for so long, right side up seems like upside down. You can tweet that if you want. This guy came running to Jesus. He bowed before him. 
Jesus set him free. He was no longer isolated, no longer in prison, no longer incomplete. As a result of this encounter with Jesus, the guy gained three things. First, he gained access to God. Just like this guy had been given access to God through Christ, so also do we have full access to God through Jesus Christ. The, the picture of this guy sitting at Jesus' feet would have been powerful to those who came out from the town. Right? Because when, when they arrive at the cemetery, they see this what used to be wild, crazy guy, demon-possessed man. Now he's in his right mind, sitting calmly at the feet of this rabbi named Jesus. And that would have been a powerful picture of intimacy and trust. The relationship between rabbis and their students was one of close intimacy and closeness. But it was also one of learning because that's what rabbis did. They taught. They taught people how to live a certain way. When we come, sit at the feet of Jesus. Not only will he set us free, not only will he save us, he'll teach us how to live a new life, a new normal. Verse 15 of Mark 5, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. This guy went from being chained, shackled, naked, howling, screaming, and cutting on himself to clothed, quiet, perfectly sane. He had been set free, which brings us to the second point. Not only do we have access to God, we have new freedom. We have freedom. No matter what you've done in your past that has brought guilt and shame to your life, there is no sin, no mistake, too great for God to forgive. Nor is there any shame or guilt too great for Jesus to heal and set you free from. You know, in many ways, this man's story is no different than my story or your story. We might not have been demon-possessed, but any life lived apart from knowing God will certainly allow for choices and decisions that give place to isolation, that give place to imprisonment, and that give place to incompletion. And even though our sins are forgiven and our shame is dealt with the moment we accept Christ, living that out, living out our access to God, living out our newfound freedom takes place over time. So let's see how the story ends. Mark 5, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You know, in my study this past week, I saw something in this verse that I had never seen before. We know that Jesus got into a boat specifically to, to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to this town. We know that he did that specifically. After setting this isolated, imprisoned, and incomplete man free, he goes back to the boat to leave. In other words, apparently Jesus went over there just for that one guy. Just for that one guy. Has anyone ever told you that even if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you? It's true. It sounds trite, but it is so true. A beautiful picture of God's love and commitment to us. You know, in Luke 15, <clears throat> the whole chapter is comprised of parables, three to be exact. You've got the parable of the lost sheep, how a shepherd had 100 sheep and one wandered off and he left the 99 to go look for the one. Then you have the parable of the lost coin, how a woman had 10 coins, lost one and turned her house upside down till she found it. And then the last parable is the lost son, the prodigal son. How the father had two sons and one left. The beauty of that chapter is seen in this. It doesn't matter if it's one out of 100, one out of 10, or one out of two. God is relentless in pursuing us and hunting us down. Just like Jesus was here with this man. Verse 19 of Mark 9, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. Jesus tells this guy, you need to go home. Be united with your family. See, there's a new normal for you now. Here we see the next step of this man's faith journey. This is where he discovered his purpose. He ran to Jesus, bowed down. 
That's where he came to know God. Jesus cast the demons out. That's where he set free. And now he wants to leave with Jesus. Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to stay here and go tell your family and tell others what has happened. Here he discovered his purpose. This is where he discovered his purpose. Verse 20 of Mark 5. So the man started off, look at this, to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus told the man, you need to stay here for a while. There's a reason you need to stay here. In fact, many, many theologians believe that this was the very first missionary to a Gentile region. The, the 10 towns that it mentions here in the surrounding area. And here's where we see this next step, the fourth step of this faith process. Purpose. He's got new purpose. What was his new purpose? To make a difference. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. Go and tell others what Jesus had done for him. That no longer did people have to feel isolated, imprisoned, and incomplete. Jesus would be their friend. Jesus would set them free. And Jesus would complete them and give them purpose. And he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. This guy went from being incomplete to having the greatest mission of all, telling others about Jesus. I also believe the fact that the Bible doesn't name this guy, that's not a coincidence. I think he was left nameless so that we could insert our names here. Because in many ways, this is our story. Not in specifics, but certainly in the details of our need for each other, our need for freedom, and our need for purpose. Going forward in our new normal, let's be mindful to carve out some time each day to sit at the feet of Jesus. Walk in our newfound freedom by holding ourselves accountable through relationships with those that God has placed in our lives through a growth group and fulfill our newfound purpose by telling others what Jesus has done for us. You know, if you're here this morning and watching online maybe and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you're tired of navigating life in your own strength and you're ready to run to Jesus, if that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer. You can just pray these words. It's not the words that save you. It's believing in your heart what you're about to pray that makes a difference. So if that's you, would you just be willing to repeat this prayer after me to say, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to run to you this morning. Please forgive me of my sins for living my life selfishly with, with no regard for you, your purpose for my life. And today, right now, I choose to make you my Lord and Savior. I'm putting you in charge of my life, and I'm asking you to help me begin living my life in that manner. From now on, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. From now on, it's your deal over my deal, God. Please give me the faith and grace to begin living my life for you, Jesus. And for everyone else who have already run to Jesus, but you might still be struggling with some isolation or loneliness. Maybe you're struggling with feeling shackled and chained by some guilt and shame from your past. Or maybe people that are feeling incomplete, wandering around with no sense of purpose if you would just come to the feet of Jesus and bow before him and learn from him, he can set you free for those. And I'm gonna pray for you now. I pray that the Lord would just bring healing to you, that he would be that friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he would break the chains of those still bound by the guilt from the hurts, habits, and hangups 
from your past and bring completion to those feeling incomplete and lacking direction and purpose in life. As we sit at your feet and learn from you, Lord, bring radical change to our new normal like you did to this man. In Jesus' name, amen.